All right, without further ado. Chris Ann Hall received her bachelor's degree in biochemistry from Blackburn College. And her Juris Doctor from the University of Florida. She served in the U.S. Army as a military intelligence cryptologic linguist. She was a prosecutor for the state of Florida for nearly a decade. Chris Ann also worked with a prominent national First Amendment law firm where she traveled the country defending Americans whose rights were violated by unlawful arrests and prosecutions. She has written six books on American history and the U.S. Constitution. Chris Ann is a regular consultant on numerous radio, podcasts, and television programs. Without further ado, Chris Ann Hall! Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. So happy to have you guys with me here today. Been an incredibly busy day for me today. Lots of stuff going on. So let me just take a second to breathe and say thank you to everybody here. Oregon City, Oregon, Val's in Colorado, so it's not snowing yet. Massachusetts in the house, Central Maryland, Roll Tide, Nate Bama, longtime listener, always in our chat room. Here we have Donovan Jewett, always there too. Thank you guys for so, so much for joining us. <laughs> Happy pre-Friday. Yeah, that's the kind of attitude I like right? Well, this Friday, we are headed to Texas, and we are going to be uh, teaching all weekend long in Texas, doing our In Defense of Liberty training, which, by the way, sold out this year. Oh, man, so exciting how that happened. Sold out. This is, let me just share this with you. Um, just because I want you to know if you didn't get a chance to join us this year at In Defense of Liberty this coming weekend, uh, that you can uh, join us in the fall when we start coming in the when we start going uh, back to work in the fall with In Defense of Liberty. You're going to meet up with Larry Stevenson, the bearded black cowboy, and do our Constitution hand-to-hand -hand self-defense training, handgun accuracy and precision, real-world shooter defense. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. This is one of the best weekends uh, for gun training that I have ever experienced in my life. Now, if you didn't get signed up for the gun training, that doesn't mean you cannot join us on Friday. Friday, like tomorrow. <laughs> like what day of the week is it? I'm telling you, I've had four back-to-back -back interviews today. I have sat in this chair all day long. I finally got something to eat at about four o'clock this afternoon after a whole day of sitting here. Uh, 
So Thursday, if you get a chance uh, for Friday, tomorrow, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. in Gainesville, Texas, at the Hampton Inn and Suites, please come and join us. Now, there is uh, a registration at chrisannhall.com. If you go to chrisannhall.com, you can sign up for that registration. There is a, an attendance fee because we're going to not only do constitutional training, we're going to feed you. Feed me, Seymour. And uh, so I just want to invite you, if you haven't had a chance, invite a friend, come and see us in Gainesville, Texas. We're going to be doing some great, great constitution training. How many of you guys know about the Victory Channel? The Victory Channel is a, a station that I am on. It's a private news source station. Uh, that I have been on quite regularly. As a matter of fact, I was doing interviews with them today. They have a news, Victory News, that runs at, there we go. See, there's Victory News right there. Victory News is at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 11 p.m. Central Time, and I am a regular correspondent on Victory News. And then you also have Flashpoint which it runs 4 p.m. Central Time and um, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And I'm, all, I'm all also an often consultant there, too. So there are always ways to catch Chris Ann Hall uh, outside the uh, Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal because you know me. I'm not sitting still. I'm always running around doing something. So, again, join us in Texas tomorrow if you can. Uh, we would love to see everybody. This is a fun picture. Let me share this one with you. <laughs> Yesterday, we did a photo shoot for Liberty First Legal. And you guys know Sunny. Sunny has been with us for a while. Sunny travels and teaches with me, but she's also my legal assistant. And so we wanted to do some personal up-close uh photos for our website for libertyfirst.legal. That's our nonprofit law firm, libertyfirst.legal. And we're helping people all over the country and by the way, all over the world. And so uh, I took a fun picture of the photographer who is taking pictures of Sunny, and there I am. And I didn't even notice when I was doing that, that down there in the corner was Frederick Douglass. How very much cool is that? And so uh, once again, just want to remind you that, yes, Chris Ann Hall has a website. People are always asking me, Chris Ann, how do we find out where you're going to be? ChrisAnnHall.com. Chris Ann, where do we get your latest podcast? ChrisAnnHall.com. Chris Ann, where do we schedule you to come and see our play? Our uh, Come and teach our town? Uh, ChrisAnnHall.com. Okay, so chrisannhall.com, the one-stop shop for all your constitutional needs. <laughs> there you go. JC, be happy with me. I got all of that stuff out of the way. And yeah, <laughs> Frederick Douglass photobombing us. That's right. That's right. So I wanted to cover, because, you know, I'm the lawyer on staff here, I wanted to cover some things that are happening in the news regarding law. First and foremost, let me share this with you. There is news going, excuse me, hiccup. <laughs> let me take a drink. Sorry. 
Why do hiccups always come when you're on the air? It's like Murphy's Law or something, right? So there are stories floating around about Arkansas uh, challenging Roe v. Wade and with a near total abortion ban. Now, Governor uh, Asa Hutchinson on Tuesday signed into law one of the country's most restrictive abortion bans, according to NPR News. Uh, one of the most restrictive abortion bans, a measure supporters hope will force the U.S. Supreme Court to revisit its 1973 decision, decision sanctioning the procedure. It's called Senate Bill 6. Abortion would only be allowed in cases where it's necessary to save the life or to prefer, preserve the health of uh, the fetus or the mother. <laughs> I wonder if they actually read that out loud. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they refer to abortion as a procedure of removing the baby from the womb, like not aborting the whole life process because I'm reading. Let me just read that out loud and see if anybody in the chat room here can catch the problem with this sentence. Under Senate Bill 6, abortion would only be allowed in cases where it's necessary to save the life or preserve the health of the fetus or the mother. Um, if you're doing an abortion, I don't think you're saving the life or preserving the health of the fetus. Unless, again, like I said, they consider abortion like premature C-section or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Boom, boom, boom. You win. Twitch in Twitch. Mushkamekim. I'm not even going to try that. Wins. How can you abort a child and save its life at the same time? So I'm just wondering if any, it, Kim. Okay. All right. Just Kim. We'll make it just Kim. Uh, uh, you're right, Kim. You win. You're the first one to answer this question. And I'm not quite sure they read that all the way through. <laughs> but nonetheless, we get the point. You're only going to be able to do an abortion if you're going to save the life or preserve the health of the mother, right? The fetus, fetus. <laughs> it's a baby, okay? Um, I, I don't know. For me, because of my biology background, a fetus is a baby. So I know that people draw that as distinction there, that fetus is just a bunch of cells, but... Um, I got some really bad news for you out there, you liberal leftist life-hating people. Uh, you're nothing but a bunch of cells, okay? So if you think that a fetus or a baby inside someone's body is just a bunch of cells that can be exterminated, you better be careful with that rationale because biologically speaking, you are nothing but a bunch of cells. And if you want to get down to the brass tacks of it, biochemically speaking, you are an organism of functioning positives and negatives, which means one negative switch and you are a pile of ooze on the floor. So uh, let's be careful how we classify things in order to justify murder because guess what? 
you might just be just justifying your own murder. And that's not a far and beyond where we are today, given the whole, you know, narrative of the Uber left and this administration on, on who gets rights and who doesn't get rights and who should live and who shouldn't live. And you got Cuomo engaging in mass genocide and homicide of people over the age of 65 in the nursing homes. And then if you really are, aren't careful about that, you might actually figure out that it's happening in more than just New York. So they want to make Cuomo the real fall guy here, right? And they want to make Cuomo the fall guy because the bottom line is they don't want you to look around and see that the globalists have ordered the extermination of nursing home people all over the country. So if we point it all at Cuomo and the New York nursing homes and then throw you a distracting squirrel with Cuomo's, you know, sexual indiscretions, then Bada bing, bada boom. Everybody forgets about the mass murder in the nursing homes in New York. They don't even think about the mass murder of the nursing homes all over the country. Not to mention the mass murder of people in nursing homes all over the world. And there you go. That's how the human race gets distracted by political squirrels. There you go. So... The reason I wanted to talk about this, because this is a talk teach show and not a talk show, I wanted to teach you something about what's happening here. So, number one, Arkansas passes a law contrary to a Supreme Court opinion. Now, Roe v. Wade had nothing to do with the state of Arkansas or the people of Arkansas. So guess what? Roe v. Wade, as in a Supreme Court opinion, is not binding on the people of the state of Arkansas. Okay? So guess what? Not about Arkansas, not about Arkansas people, and not about Arkansas government. So... What we have to do is understand that first and foremost, that a Supreme Court opinion is, guess what? That big O word, right? The big O word, opinion, right? Opinion. It is not a law. It is not a uh, ruling. Kings issue rulings, courts issue opinions. And courts are only binding on, in two cases, okay? A court opinion is binding on the parties in the courtroom, which in this case are Roe and Wade, which by the way, it, it began in Texas, okay? So uh, Norma McCorvey, alias Jane Roe, brought the lawsuit against Henry Wade, the Dallas district uh, attorney a, in a Texas federal court. So if you want to argue where Roe v. Wade is binding, you will argue that it's binding on Roe, it's binding on Wade, and since it's binding on Wade, it's consequently binding on the state of Texas. Not Arkansas, not anybody else, 
not any other state. So Roe v. Wade is simply an opinion. Now, people say quite often that Roe v. Wade needs to be overturned. I will agree. But please don't confuse the fact that Roe v. Wade hasn't been overturned with its effect on the rest of the country. You see, you don't really technically have to overturn Roe v. Wade unless you live in Texas because no other state is is bound by Roe v. Wade. So Roe v. Wade is only binding on the people, the parties of the lawsuit. And number two, it is only binding if it is consistent with the Constitution. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I know it's crazy. It's terribly radical. But the judicial department, the judicial branch is a branch of the federal government, one of three branches in the federal government, which is created by the Constitution and defined by the Constitution. Therefore, the judiciary only has jurisdiction over things that are delegated through the Constitution. Go ahead, ladies and gentlemen, read Article 3. Article 3 of the Constitution is where you get the delegation of power to the Supreme Court, which if you read those who actually not only drafted the third, the Article 3, but actually ratified Article 3, then you will understand that there are specific jurisdictions that are excluded from the federal court's jurisdictions. Number one, excluded. Did you catch that? Excluded, meaning not in your jurisdiction, federal courts are cases which involve a person of one state and a person in the same state. Also excluded from federal jurisdiction, a case involving a person of a state and a, a, a case of a person of the state against their own state. Excluded. Okay, so what you have to understand is, according to the Constitution, according to Article 3, which, by the way, has not been amended, Article 3 excludes jurisdiction from the federal courts for anything that happens in the internal affairs of the state to people of the same state or a person against their own state, not federal jurisdiction. So Roe v. Wade actually fails at the constitutional level when dealing with Texas because Roe v. Wade was a person of Texas suing their own state, which is excluded specifically and purposefully from Article Three delegation of power to the federal courts. So what happens when the Supreme Court does something outside the Constitution. When the Supreme Court puts itself into a jurisdiction to which it has no constitutional authority. Well, then you go back to Article 6, Clause 2, and you realize that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Everything else 
is in submission and subjective to the supreme law of the land, which means if you have a Supreme Court opinion that is not consistent with the Constitution, according to Article 6, Clause 2, that opinion is null and void. So the solution to Roe v. Wade is not even just to overturn Roe v. Wade, because in reality, and I'm talking you, in a constitutional legal reality, Roe v. Wade is binding on no one. No one. That would be kind of like you taking something. Okay, Chris Ann Hall wrote this opinion. Let's see what her opinions are today. There's all the opinions Chris Ann Hall wrote. So now I'm going to publish them in a journal somewhere, and I am going to call them the opinions, the rulings of Chris Ann Hall. Well, guess what? I don't have the authority to issue rulings, and neither does the Supreme Court. And my opinions are not binding on you because they're just my opinions with no legal authority. And when the courts issue opinions where they do not have jurisdiction and in matters of which they do not have authority, then guess what? I have a fly. They're not legally binding. So we would not have to, uh, we would not have to follow Roe v. Wade because it's not the law of the land. It's not. The Supreme Court does not write law, America. And opinions are not law. They are not law. They are opinions. For the Supreme Court to issue opinions and expect them to be enforced as laws is a violation of separation of powers. The most violent attack our founder said, on the Constitution itself. When you combine the power of one branch, uh, the, the power of two branches into one branch, in this case, the power to write law and the power to judge law, you put all of that into the judiciary, do you know what you get? You get an oligarchy. It's a king. You get a king. So guess what? The Supreme Court does not make law. Roe v. Wade is not the law of the land. And legally, constitutionally speaking, it's not even binding on Roe, Wade, and Texas. So for Arkansas to write this law, doing a near total ban on abortion, is well within the authority of the state of Arkansas. Because number one, they're not bound by Roe v. Wade. Number two, they're not, Roe v. Wade doesn't even have legal standing in Texas based on the fact that it's an expansion of federal power beyond an amendment to the Constitution, right? And so there you have it. That's the answer. You just go ahead and make the law. Now, the question always comes, why don't states continually argue or ignore Roe v. Wade. By the way, let me just say this to you, to you as well, because in this, it says Arkansas, let's see, uh, let's see, uh, where does it say? Um, oh, measure a measure supporters hope will force the U.S. Supreme Court 
uh, to revisit its 1973 decision sanctioning the procedure. So let's think about that. How would the Supreme Court revisit this? Well, technically and legally speaking, to revisit it, the Supreme Court would have to actually take the case in Texas. It's the only way to revisit it because Texas is where it happens and that's where its jurisdiction is happening. But, you know, let's have the federal judicial supremacists have their way and say that uh, uh, it, can be ch it can be challenged through Arkansas. It would be challenged because someone would sue the state law. Here's how the state of Arkansas should handle that. Okay. Um, we will answer to your challenge in state court because guess what? The Supreme Court has no jurisdiction. Right? Your federal district courts have no jurisdiction. Period. That's how Arkansas should handle that. You want to challenge that? We'll take it up to the Arkansas Supreme Court, and then we will uh, see how it goes. But federal courts do not have jurisdiction on this, and if you do not understand that, you need to go to libertyfirstuniversity.com, and you need to take my class on the judiciary, where I explain to you all about Article Three, the delegation of power, to the, to the judiciary and its limited authority. So the question always comes, why aren't more states refusing to abide by, I don't want to say follow, Roe v. Wade? Well, there's a couple reasons. Number one, because they're ignorant. Because since 1833, We've been teaching in colleges and law schools and in any school that talks about government that the, that the judiciary is the ultimate arbiter of what is constitutional and what is not. That is false. The Constitution is not, the, or the Supreme Court is not the ultimate arbiter of what is constitutional or not. And if you want to know who is, I think you probably should ask those who wrote and ratified the Constitution, and they will tell you the ultimate arbiter of whether the federal government is acting constitutionally or not is the states. As a matter of fact, James Madison said that very th same thing, that if you allow the opinions of the judiciary to be raised above the authority of the states, then you put the creation above its creator. Because it is the states that created the federal government. It created the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branch. The judicial branch is part of the federal government. The states being the creator, they are the ultimate authority on the proper use of the power delegated. Think about how realistically stupid that would be. If, we, if our founders actually created a federal government, where the judicial branch was the ultimate authority on the power of the federal government. Do you know what that means? That means part of the federal government gets to decide the power of the federal government, which means the only judge of federal power is itself. That's not a check and balance, people. Mm -mm. That, is, that is tyranny.
That is a tyrannical government, totalitarian kingdom. But you see, they will tell you that the, that the federal government, that the Supreme Court is the supreme arbiter, and they'll tell you, but the supremacy clause says that the federal government is supreme, which it doesn't, by the way. I've already taught this in this show, but let's just sort of back up and let me show you how this works, okay? The supremacy clause. Let me see if I can put that up there for you really quick. I have like a little slide that can help you um, understand the supremacy clause. Let me see if I can share this screen with you so you can see their argument and the truth. I've got it here. Let's see, where are you? Do, to do, to do, what they will tell you. I have it. It's right here. Um, there, no, that's not it. Oh, here it is. What they will claim and what you shall should know. So let's go ahead and I will share this screen with you. I love having all these resources right in front of me. Um, there, we have to do this one. All right. So what they will tell you and what you should know. All right. This is actually from a sheriff of Elkhart, Indiana, who challenged the federal government and told the federal government, uh, the USDA and the FDA particularly, uh, I'm not going to let you come and enforce your regulations in my county anymore. You're not going to raid my Am Amish farmers over raw milk and cheese. We didn't delegate any authority to the federal government to regulate what we eat, what we wear, what we consume, etc. So if your agents, Brad Rogers says to the USDA and the FDA, come to my county again and try to issue a warrant on my Amish farmers and you don't come by my office first and get my permission, then what I'm gonna do is I'm going to arrest your USDA and FDA agents and I'm going to throw them in my jail and charge them with trespass. So if you don't want to have to actually uh, bail your agents out of jail, then what you have to do is get my permission. And if I deny your permission and you do it anyway, I'm going to arrest you again. And so this federal, this DOJ U.S. prosecutor tries to threaten the sheriff. And he says, Goldstein, Goldstein is the uh, DOJ attorney, said Goldstein emailed Rogers and warned him that interfering with a federal investigation could be prosecuted as a felony and would carry up to a three-year term in prison. Goldstein, Goldstein also cited the federal supremacy clause that the Supreme Court has interpreted as making federal rules and laws superior to local ones. Now, underneath this thing right here, I have the supremacy clause. Article 6, clause 2. You already heard me talk about it today. Article 6, clause 2 says... This constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made, here's the, ma here's the magic language, in pursuance thereof shall be the supreme law of the land. And treaties made, which shall be made under their authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. 
and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Now look at how this works, grammatically speaking. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Nothing has to happen. Just the supreme, the Constitution exists. Therefore, it is the supreme law of the land. But laws have to be made in pursuance to the Constitution to be the supreme law of the land. <laughs> Mac. Treaties must be made under the authority of the United States to be the supreme law of the land, which is the Constitution. Sorry about Matt, guys. He's, he's guarding me. <laughs> he's guarding me, okay? So if the laws are not made in pursuance to the Constitution, grammatically speaking, it's just a matter of reading. If they are not made in pursuance to the Constitution, then they are not the supreme law of the land. But guess what that says? Laws. You don't see anything in here that mentions regulations, do you? Because guess what? There is absolutely no authority for the federal government to regulate your life. The mere regulation of what you can eat is completely unconstitutional, therefore illegal. Why illegal? Because it breaks the supreme law of the land. Now watch this. And it says the Constitution, the judge of every state are bound by it. The laws which are made in pursuance thereof, the judges of every state are bound there by it. And the treaties which are made under the authority of the Constitution, the judges of every state are bound by it. But a little grammatical twist in there, put a little not in there. The laws of the United States, which are not made in pursuance to the Constitution, the judges in every state shall not be bound thereby. Therefore, they are null and void. Let's look at this really quick because that's exactly what our founders said when they explained to us how this is supposed to work. You have Alexander Hamilton telling us no legislative act, therefore, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. You have the uh, James Wilson, a delegate in the uh, to the Constitutional Convention, a signer, a ratifier of the Constitution, says the power of the Constitution predominates. Therefore, anything that shall be enacted by Congress contrary thereto will not have the force of law. Now, that wasn't just as, you know, Obvious. I don't know how you get any more plain language than that. How about the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States explaining that states do not have to comply? No, look at this. This is NFIB Sibelius. This is Chief Justice Roberts' majority opinion. In the typical case, we look to the states to defend their prerogatives by adopting the simple expedient of not yielding to federal blandishments. Not yielding means you don't, you're not complying. They're null and void. You're not bound by them, so you don't have to comply. He says the states are separate and independent sovereigns, and you have to act like it.
And there's the sort of little brief summary on why the, the supremacy clause does not make the federal government and federal laws supreme. It makes the federal government and federal laws inferior to the Constitution. And that anything that they do that is not consistent with the Constitution is null and void. So when you look then at what we're doing here in Arkansas, passing a near total ban of abortion, it's well within their authority to do that because it's not a power delegated to the federal government. Therefore, it's a power reserved to the states. So Arkansas is not challenging Roe v. Wade because Roe v. Wade is not applicable to them. Roe v. Wade is only applicable to Roe, Wade, and Texas. But guess what? It's not even applicable to Roe, Wade, and Texas because they didn't have jurisdiction in the get-go. So this is not, why do st other states not make laws outlawing abortion? Because number one, they're ignorant. They've been brainwashed into this ideology of federal and judicial supremacy. And number two, they lack the political courage. Even if they do know, they do not have the courage to make the laws that they, you know, need to make to do the job that they're supposed to be doing to secure the liberty of the people of their states. So how about that for an, a, a very short, in-depth uh, case, right? So a um, little lesson on the Supreme Court. By the way, just to be sure, Arkansas is not challenging a law because there is no law on Roe v. Wade. Congress has passed no law at all. Uh, and even if they did, it wouldn't be constitutional because we didn't give we didn't delegate the authority to Congress to um, define life. We didn't do that. It doesn't belong to them. So I wanted to share with you this other legal thing that's going on, this really crazy thing in the, in the uh, George Floyd case, which is happening right now. Judge passes a motion banning comparison of George Floyd's death to Jesus Christ's uh, crucifixion at the Chauvin trial. I mean, you have a witness in the George, in, in the Chauvin case, trying to compare George Floyd's death to the conviction, a I'm sorry, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Check this out. So John Collins, this is from Twitter. It's not my Twitter account. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to see anything. But John Collins is a class and criminal justice reporter at M, not N, but M like Mary, NPR News, co-creator of Peabody Award winning 74 Seconds NPR. And he's covering the, the this case regarding the... Um, unlawful death, excessive force case uh, leading that uh, allegedly led to the death of George Floyd. So Chauvin's attorneys, defendants move the court for an order precluding any expert from likening the death of George Floyd to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the grounds that such analogy is prejudicial. And so apparently the judge also agrees 
that there should be no comparison of George Floyd's death and the crucifixion to of of Christ. I just want to put that out there because it right right it rises to the level of the ultimately stupid things that you get to see in a courtroom. Seriously, if you ever become a judicial junkie and you start watching watching court cases, then guess what? You'll get to see a bunch of really stupid things. So apparently an expert witness in the courtroom tried to liken George Floyd. Well, they probably didn't do it in the courtroom, right? So this is just all the preliminary stuff. So what they did was they did depositions before the trial and some expert witness during the depositions tried to make this analogy. So now what happens is uh, now the pre-trial motions come out because they anticipate a certain witness to make this analogy because that's what they did during depositions. And so now they're saying, look, this is the testimony that came out during depositions. We don't want this testimony to be presented to the jury because it would be prejudicial. And a guarantee uh, at this point, the, the judge agrees and says, no, you can't compare George Floyd's death with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So that's how that works. So remember, guys, this is National Women's History Month. And as promised, I am going to give to you every show a little history lesson on the founding mothers. Today, I want to introduce you to Betty Zane. Now, Betty Zane was only 17 years old at the time of our war for our first war for independence. Betty Zane and her family had been driven from their home when British regulars, the British troops, burned their town to the ground. Seeking refuge at a nearby fort, as many of our founders did, Betty Zane and her family noticed that it was very difficult to get provisions, very difficult to get gunpowder to defend the fort. So Betty Zane, while walking back to her fort, her fort where her family was seeking refuge, happens to walk past an enemy fort housed by 40 British soldiers and 250 Native Americans, the Native American tribes that had joined up with the British soldiers to fight us for our independence. So Betty Zane, the 17-year-old girl, has this thought. I bet because I'm just a 17-year-old girl, they would not even in this enemy fort, if I just walked in, nobody would take notice of me. So that's exactly what Betty Zane does. The 17-year-old girl boldly, bravely, full of courage and audacity, walks right into this enemy fort. She walks into their powder house. She fills her apron with powder kegs and then walks back again. Yay! <laughs> there we go. I had my, my phone up so you guys could hear. I could type to you while we power went out right in the middle of my Betty Zane story, man. How, how convenient, right? <laughs> how convenient. Well, let me get Betty Zane back up here for you so you can see her. Um, Betty Zane. 
Let me, here she is. All right, because I'm going to finish this Betty Zane story because I'm not going to let anybody tell me I can't talk about Betty Zane. So remember, Betty Zane walks into the enemy fort and she gathers up powder, runs out of the enemy fort with her apron full of powder. And it said, the history of this says that the 40 British soldiers and the Native Americans in this fort were so mad, so shocked at what she did that all she, all they could do was stand and shout as she ran away. This is September 12, 1782. 1782. Can you imagine the bravery of this young lady? Not a victim, by the way. Not under a powerless mentality, by the way. But actually fighting for her life with bravery and courage. Listen to this poem about Betty Zane. Upon those half-cleared rolling lands, a crowded city proudly stands. But of the many who reside by green Ohio's rushing tide, not one has lineage prouder than, be he poor or rich the man, who boasts that in his spotless strain mingles the blood of Betty Zane. I want you to see this because I want you to know that what we're, what we're dealing with here is a fake history in America. These people are written about in history. There is documents on them. There are pages on them. There are things all over America uh, in libraries, on the Internet, everywhere about these people. You don't have to be ignorant about our founding mothers. And by the way, even though Betty Zane was only 17 years old, that you, she was a founding mother. It was the, it was the women at the grassroots level that really did everything for us. So you have to join us all through the month of March I'm going to be teaching you about these women. We talked about Mercy Otis Warren already. We talked about uh, how she's the first American woman playwright, first American woman historian, first American woman uh, political advisor. And now you have Betty Zane, who is now, uh, what do you call it? An arms racketeer. <laughs> Stealing arms from the enemy to be used in the defense of her family. And that's the courage and the boldness of the American spirit of the American woman. We were not victims of an overbearing, chauvinistic, misogynistic, a women hating men. We were BA, my girlfriend, BA all the way. And I'm sick and tired of all this chatter by all these fake feminists. I call them fake feminists, by the way. They're uh, because feminism is a point of strength, not of weakness. Feminism is being so strong that I know I don't have to put down men to be strong. I don't have to demean someone else's existence. I don't have to try to remove power from someone else. 
in order to have power. I am a woman. I was created wonderfully and fearfully made. I was created with great intelligence, with great strength. As a matter of fact, I think when God created me and other women, he created us knowing we would be the stronger sex. After all, he gave us not only the strength, but the authority to have children. Come on, you know the joke. If men were to have children, we'd have been stinked a long time ago. Feminism is about being a powerful woman. You are not a powerful woman if your power exists in the ability to demean or take power from someone else. I am a strong woman because I am secure in who I am with the men in my, I let my men be my men and let my women be my women because that's the strength of a woman. Not that I have to be the same as him to be strong. No, I am strong because I am different from him. I don't need to run around with an entitlement mentality begging the government for affirmative action to make me strong. I was born strong and I will succeed on my own merits because I am not a victim. I am highly intelligent and very capable. So I don't need your handouts. I don't need your leg up. I don't need your government bailouts and your affirmative action. Because you see, my cry for equal rights, which is actually a cry for the government to do something for me, is an admission that I am weak. I don't need your help. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not through government bailouts and government handouts and government mandates on businesses. And by the way, if you don't want to hire me because I'm a woman, that's your loss because there are plenty of people out there who appreciate intelligence, who appreciate actual courage, who appreciate the skill set that we have to bring to the, to the table. And let me just be very clear here about something. If I am a woman, and I don't want to leave work outside my home, that I want to view my work as raising a future generation, as being the backbone, the strength, and the engine to my family, that does not make me weak. That makes me stronger. Because you see all these little fake feminists that run around out there talking about how if stay-at-home moms are, are not real women, they're weak women, they're stupid. They're just flat-out stupid. Because you know what they're doing? They're saying... My self-worth is defined by my employment. My self-worth as a woman is defined on how the workplace accepts me and promotes me. You know what? I don't need anybody outside my home and outside my God to place value on my life. It is weak. It is, it is disempowering. It is victimizing to say that you as a woman have to look outside yourself for worth. You were fearfully and wonderfully made 
and you don't need their approval. To say otherwise, guess what? You are weak. So we're going to get to the, uh, as I promised today, we were going to talk about the, the V19 spending, but with the power loss, we are not going to be able to get to that today. Uh, so guess what? We're going to do that tomorrow. We'll go over CV19 tomorrow, all the spending, all the ridiculous. Uh, Governor Florida DeSantis criticizes the federal bill, relief bill as a bailout for blue states. We're going to talk about that. You know what? I don't even have to go into detail about where all that money goes because the entire stinking thing is unconstitutional from the very beginning. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, everybody in the chat room. Nate Bema, I saw your super chat. I am so grateful for the continued support that we get, that you have given this show and everything that you do. Make sure that you hit that thumbs up, guys. Please share, please share. Uh, Thaddeus will make my little statement on fake feminists, a separate video. I'm sure that he will. And then we'll post that. You guys can share that all by yourselves. Uh, thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you for joining us. But do me a favor. Joining us encourages me. Encourage others by sharing this show and what you've learned. Because the media does not want us to have this narrative. They don't want you to know that women are strong when they stand alone without government. And so we will actually, uh, we, we're just so grateful when you share the show. Uh, Dale Chaffee, I did finish Bendy Zane. You, you probably need to go back and just watch again. So thank you so much, guys, for being with us today. Uh, hopefully, JC, be back with us again tomorrow. And we will see you next time. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain alienable rights. We have a power. And we've raised a spoiled brat representative government that needs to be taken to the woodshed. Are you satisfied with the government that owns you? There are churches who refuse to allow us to use their facilities to teach. Unspoken or even sometimes spoken rule that religion and politics don't mix. You wouldn't dare speak out against the government or somehow resist. Christians have to be involved in politics. God commands it. Every turn of event through history hinged one person will stand up upon a single person and then everybody else will stand a gym member surrounded by a crowd of supporters was placed in handcuffs a tampa bay pastor has been arrested sentenced to a week in she jail also and tore up a cease and desist letter we have a posterity waiting for us to say we will not comply so you will be free
we have a chance to fight without bloodshed. But every time we comply, we establish a future where our children will not have that option. Why do we sit down when all should be standing? And why do we, 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 and why do we.